Section 6 of Short Stories from Locomotive Engineer's Journal, Volume 52. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Short Stories from Locomotive Engineer's Journal, Volume 52 by Various, Section 6, A Race for a Stake, by Alan Hinsdale. A number of persons stood on the front porch of a summer hotel near Washington, now looking at their watches, and now up the road, as if expecting something or somebody. Among them was a young lady dressed, evidently, for an automobile ride. "'If he gets here at three o'clock, he'll be an hour ahead of time,' said one. "'What time is he due in Washington?' asked another. "'At six. What's up on it?' "'Oh, nothing valuable.' It's a gentleman's race against time. A dozen pairs of gloves are all there is in it. Here he comes now. The last one of these remarks was scarcely spoken before a minute cloud of dust was easily discernible up the road. An automobile appeared, a mere speck, and began to grow in apparent size. In another minute it pulled up at the steps of the hotel. A young man jumped out, calling for gasoline and such other automobile equipments as he needed. The young lady mentioned stepped up to him and said, "'Mr. Champlin, I believe?' "'I am,' replied the auto-man, bowing and trying to get hold of his cap to pull it off. "'My cousin, Humphrey Cook, knowing that I was here, that I adore automobiling, and that I wish to go to the city, has written me that you would stop here, and possibly would take me in.' Mr. Champlin hesitated. "'I'll be no trouble,' the lady added. Really, I should be delighted for your company, but in case of any delay I may have to proceed at breakneck speed. The faster you go, the better I shall like it. Very well. I'm an hour ahead, and if nothing breaks, shall have no trouble reaching the goal on time. Are you ready? I am. Step in, Miss... Uh, I beg your pardon, I didn't get your name. Hood. Jacqueline Hood, replied the girl. Mr. Champlin started. "'Jack Hood!' he exclaimed. "'The same. Is there anything about Jack Hood that you don't like? I've heard she's the worst feminine daredevil the world has ever seen. You've also heard, probably, that she knows all about an auto. Perhaps she may aid you in case of trouble.' By this time Miss Hood was settling herself comfortably in the auto, tying her veil under her chin. There was a singular look on Champlin's face. He had bet Humphrey Cook that he would drive his auto to New York and return by a given time. Might not Cook have sent this girl to delay him? "'I'm sorry, Miss Hood,' he said, "'but I've changed my mind about taking you.' "'I haven't changed my mind about going.' A bewitching smile hovered on her lips, and her eyes danced with mischief. "'Very well,' he said. "'I'll take you.' Remember that in case there's any rascality perpetrated, I shall treat you just as if you were a man. Good! That's the way I wish to be treated. During this scene, the onlookers had gathered around the machine, and at the last words some of the men and all the women clapped their hands. Champlin got in, and the couple rolled away, followed by cheers and the waving of handkerchiefs. In another minute nothing could be seen of them but a tiny dust cloud. 
For an hour, Miss Hood entertained the driver of the auto in such a way as to make him forget everything but her. Nevertheless, his eye was on the speed gauge and the clock, and nothing pertaining to win his race was neglected. There are women who can do more with a man in an hour than other women can do in a lifetime. Miss Hood simply absorbed him. "'Have you time to stop for a glass of milk?' she asked. "'Certainly.' well there's a farmhouse off the road up there would you mind getting one for me mr champlin stopped before the gate and went up to the house a woman answered his knock at the door and he went inside he was no sooner out of sight than miss hood jumped out took a small nickel-plated monkey wrench from her belt unscrewed a nut and put it in her pocket she had not finished her work before champlin reappeared with a glass of milk in his hand Miss Hood was awakened to his presence by hearing the breaking of glass on stone. Looking up, she saw Champlin the picture of astonishment and chagrin. He knew that he had been done. Striding with a quick step to the auto, he said sternly, "'You know what I said before leaving, that if there was any rascality perpetrated, I would treat you just as I should a man.' "'Oh, yes,' she replied, making a face at him. "'I remember that.' Give me what you have removed. I decline to do so. Champlin made a dive for her. She sidled around the auto. He followed, chasing her in a circle. She was too fleet for him. He was strong, but she was agile. At every step there would be the pretty face brimming with mischief, her eyes riveted on him that she should be ready for his slightest move. Finally he gave it up. Did Cook send you to do this? Yes. Well, I suppose I shall have to lose the bet. That isn't necessary. What do you mean? That, if you ask me to give you what I have taken, I will do so. On what conditions? No conditions. No conditions? What do you mean? I mean that I agreed with Humphrey for a dozen pairs of gloves to come out and delay you. Please don't ask me why. I prefer not to do so. She cast down her eyes and her meaning was plain. She had gone soft on Champlin. She handed him the nut. He replaced it, and in another minute they were shooting again along the road. Champlin was delighted. Cook had very nearly got ahead of him, would have got ahead of him had it not been that the girl had taken so great a fancy to him that she didn't have a heart to do him. What a splendid joke it would be on Cook! and the party who were present at the making of the bet when Champlin and Miss Hood rolled up to the hotel on time. Miss Hood hadn't even asked for the gloves her cousin had offered her to help him win them. Champlin told her that as soon as he received the stakes, he would give them to her, and she could change them for ladies' gloves. Instead of being pleased at this, she appeared to be very much hurt. Champlin begged her to tell him why and she replied that she had not consented to be a turncoat for a bribe. This left him to understand that she had done it all for him. There was a very tender scene between them, at the end of which the misunderstanding was made up, and for the rest of the journey Miss Cook held the steering wheel while Mr. Chaplin's arm was about her waist. There were no more delays. On approaching the city, having still an hour's leeway, they concluded to stop at a convenient place and get the dust out of their throats with an ice. 
Champlin left the lady for a brief season while he poured out something more effective than an ice in doing away with dust. On rejoining her, they partook of the ices and resumed their journey. "'What are you smiling at?' asked Miss Hood of her companion. "'Oh, I was thinking how surprised that cousin of yours will be when we roll up on time. That was a rascally proceeding of his, and it deserved to fail.' If you hadn't been the dearest girl in the world, it would have succeeded. But just think of his surprise when he hears the other part of it. He managed to get hold of her hand with his left, holding onto the wheel with one hand, and they bowled along in this way until they met another conveyance. And now the dome of the capital, with the figure perched upon it, loomed up faint in the distance. It was not long before the outskirts of the city were reached, and half an hour before the time limit had expired, they stopped at the lady's entrance of the hotel. A liveried servant advanced and said, "'Mr. Cook and a party of ladies and gentlemen are in a private dining-room waiting for you, sir.' Entering the room, Champlin expected to find Cook eager to know why his scheme had failed. Instead, Cook handed his cousin a dozen pairs of ladies' gloves. After this he put out his hand to Champlin. I congratulate you, old boy, with all my heart on your engagement. Champlin stood mute with astonishment. Champ, old boy, added Cook, you need an explanation. To make you lose, I sent my cousin Jack out to effect an entrance into your auto and delay you on the way. If she succeeded, she was to have a dozen pairs of gloves for a reward. She has lost the gloves. That's plain, said Champlin. Well, there was a bet between Jack and me of another dozen pairs of gloves against a hundred cigars that she would make you propose to her on the way. Champlin looked so many emotions of which astonishment and shamefacedness were the most prominent that all burst into a laugh in which he finally joined. Then, turning to Miss Hood, he advanced with a puzzled, inquiring look on his face. Was it all a sham? he asked. She made no reply in words, but a slight color rising to her cheeks indicated that the brief period she had passed, even of a sham engagement, had not been unpleasant to her. Besides, Champlin was regarded as one of the best catches in Washington. Since he could get no word of confirmation, he concluded to apply a test. Putting an arm around the girl's waist, he drew her towards him and kissed her. She submitted without a protest. "'It's a go!' shouted Cook, and there was a burst of merriment, all crowding around Miss Hood to congratulate her, the men with handshakes, the women with kisses. "'Good for you, champ!' cried Humphrey Cook. "'You've won out all around. But the stake on the race is nothing compared with winning a wife, and you've got a dandy one that can run anything from a car to a man, and you'll find she can take both the auto and the man apart and put them together without the least trouble.' The wedding journey was an auto trip to California. End of section 6